Thank you very much. You may be seated. Wow, I'm really, really glad to be up here today. Um, I, I, it's very humbling to be up here, and it's really good to see all of you because most of you I haven't seen since last year, so it's really good to be here. I, it's Like I say, it is very humbling to be up here, and today we're going to be continuing in the book of John. We've been out of the book of John for just a little bit, and we do have a lot of scripture to cover. I'm not going to camp out too much on, well, I will from time to time, but we're, I'm going to try to finish out chapter 6, and that's a lot of verses. And this is coming from the person that the last, maybe a couple times ago I was up here, I started off this series in the book of John, and started in John 1.1, and then a half hour later said, let's go to verse 2. So we probably won't be doing that today, however, the first couple of verses that we're going to be talking about today, I do want to camp on just for a little bit, and we're going to back up and talk about what happened before um, the verses that we're going to be covering today. If you remember the last time we were in John, Jesus had just miraculously fed the, the group of 5,000 men, likely 10, 15, 20,000 people total. We don't know exactly, but a lot more than 5,000 with some loaves and fishes. It was a miracle. And the people were fed and they were filled physically. And that, that theme runs throughout the entire chapter, chapter 6 in John. So we're going to go through the whole chapter but there's really two main points, two main points that I want to hit on today. And the first point is that there's no accidents with Jesus. There's no accidents. He doesn't haphazard his way through anything. He never has. He doesn't. He never will. There's no accidents with him. He's in complete and total control of everything. And that being said, he knows what's going on. The second main point is there's no wasted words with Jesus. If he says it it matters. If he repeats it, pay really close attention. And if he parks it and camps out on a topic like he does for the entire chapter, chapter 6, we need to read it, we need to reread it, and we need to heed it. So, Jesus is in control. There's no wasted words with Jesus, and there's no accents with Jesus. So, like I said, the spoiler alert today, main topic is Jesus is in control of absolutely everything, and he tells us that we need spiritual food to survive. That's pretty much the entirety of chapter 6, so I'll go ahead and give you the punchline. It's spiritual food that we need to survive. And like I said, he just fed the 5,000 men, more than that, in, in the verses prior, and I'm going to go ahead and just pick up right now in John chapter 6 and verse 14. John chapter 6, verse 14. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, when you say the prophet, that's very specific, the Messiah. So right now they're seeing him as, hey, this is the prophet. This is the one that was foretold that was going to come and be the Messiah. So they're seeing this, that surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. Obviously, they were willing to bring Jesus into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now, why did Jesus withdrawal from the people when they were going to forcibly make him the king. It wasn't his time. If you recall, there was a time when Jesus was allowing public proclamation of his messiahship, that he was the king. If you remember, that was Palm Sunday, the Sunday before this crucifixion on that Friday. That was the day that Jesus was going to be publicly known as the messiah. And before that, we've seen several instances where he's performed a miracle, that the woman at the well, for instance, and she realized he was the Messiah, but that was a one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, Peter has recognized him as the Messiah, and that was sort of a one-on-one. -on -one. His disciples are seeing things, but publicly, he's actually told people, hey, keep this to yourself, don't go tell anybody yet. Now, why would he do that? Because his time to be publicly seen as the Messiah had not come yet. And like I said, Jesus is in control of everything. That first point... There's, there's no wasted actions at all with Jesus. Everything he does has a meaning. And I do want to dive into this just for a little bit. 
And yes, we will move on because we do have to get, you know, we'll be out of here by 4 o'clock. But I, I want to, us to really look at this. So why did he withdraw? It was because it was not time for his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem where everyone's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. If you go to Luke 19, chapter 37, Luke 19, chapter 37, you'll recognize this as Palm Sunday. We've probably all read this, and if you haven't, it's the first time you read it, it's a good story. So here we go. I should say historical narrative. Luke 19 and verse 37. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount Olives, the whole magnitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They're definitely praising him. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. So the Pharisees are saying, Jesus, these people are worshiping you. They're praising you. Rebuke them. And what does Jesus say, if you recall? But he answered them and said, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out because today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That was a very specific day that was prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And I want to get into this prophecy a little bit because it just shows how specific Jesus is. Answering that prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, there's no accidents, none with Jesus. He has everything in his control. Now, I want to go to Daniel chapter 9. We're bouncing around a little bit. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 22. Now, please read before this. The book of Daniel is beyond amazing. As a matter of fact, this prophecy is so specific that many people have uh, studied this prophecy that aren't believers, and they decided, well, this must have been written after the Gospels, which is ridiculous because in the Septuagint, from the Hebrew to the Greek, this was, this was translated around 300 B.C. So it was around a long time before the Gospels, a long time before Jesus came incarnate. So the book of Daniel's been around for a long time. So keep that in mind, what, 350, 370 B.C.? Uh, it was translated, and Daniel's writing this in 530 B.C., somewhere around there. I don't have my date specifically, but if you need them, I'll get them for you. So Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is praying for his people and for himself because his people have been in sin and they're in the, the Babylonian captivity. Wonderful, wonderful uh, historical narrative, get into it. But I want to pick up in verse 22. Daniel chapter 9 verse 22 says, And he, which is the angel Gabriel, informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So here Gabriel's coming and saying, hey, we've heard your prayer. And the command went out for me to come give you some understanding. And here's the understanding, starting in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. Now, what, what in the world does that mean? Seventy weeks. The word weeks used here in the Hebrew really means like it's a number. It's not like a week like we think of a seven-day week. If I said a dozen, you would think twelve. You might think a dozen eggs. But if I said a dozen cookies, that's 12 cookies. If I said a dozen eggs, you'd say, well, there's 12 eggs. This word for weeks is seven. So really, a better translation I've seen is 77s have been appointed to you and your people and your city. 77, 70 groups of seven. He's talking about time periods. So each one of these weeks is actually a seven-year period. 77-year periods have been appointed to your people, Israel, and your holy city, Jerusalem. Pick them back up to finish the transgression. Now, transgression's been happening since the beginning, right? We've transgressed against God from the beginning, and we are still transgressing against God. To make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Remember, the cross reconciled us through Christ. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. Now, that's to complete the entire prophetic picture and to anoint the most holy. So, there's a lot there. Okay, so it's, you've got 490 years, this is what Gabriel's telling Daniel, for all this to happen. Well, well, starting when? So let's pick up in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, until the time to the, the command goes out to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. So he's saying there's 70 weeks total. Now here we get 7 plus 62. For you math majors, that's one less than 70. We've got 69 sevens. There's seven out there somewhere, and we might talk about that at some point. It's the Great Tribulation, but we'll get there. 69 weeks, 69 times 7, 483 years. 
Babylonian uh, prophetic calendars, 360 days a year. That 483 times uh, 360 is 173,880, if you want to put it into days. So from the time the decree goes out, yeah, really. From the time the decree goes out, it's that specific. Which happens to be, let's find out when that happened. If, there's, there's, um, if you look in secular history, not just talking about biblical history, but even secular history, you'll find that date. Now, we can start off in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, where Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king Artaxerxes of the Medo-Persian Empire. Yeah, they took over the Babylonians. And the king says, why are you look so sad? You've never been sad in my presence before. And, and he tells him, you know, my, my city's ruined. The king gives the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. And what it says if you look at Nehemiah 2.1, the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes in the month of Nisan. So if you look into this, you can look at the historical calendars. You can go to Encyclopedia Britannica. The month of Nisan and the 20th year of Artaxerxes, because he began his rule in 465 B.C., that would put us in 446 B.C. The month of Nisan is March 14th, 446 B.C. Boom. March 14th, 446 B.C., Go forward in the history, 173,880 days. You land on April 6, 32 A.D. Now, April 6, 32 A.D., transferring from the Gregorian calendar to the Hebrew calendar, and there's a lot here, but stick with me, is quite a day. It's a Sunday. Now, the Passover is always on the 14th day of Nisan, which in that year, 32 A.D., was the 10th on Thursday. So you have the Passover on Thursday the 10th, which means if Jesus was started his reign in the 15th year of Tiberius, Caesar Tiberius, that would put that first Passover that Jesus went through on 29 AD, and move forward those three years, you're in 32 AD for his fourth Passover. So his fourth Passover, after the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, puts you in 32 AD. The Passover that year was April 14th, Right there, April 14th on Thursday. Back up to April 6th, that's Sunday before Passover when Jesus entered Jerusalem and said, if they don't worship me, the stones will cry out because today's the day that has been prophesied for hundreds of years. That will be my day. It's that specific. It is that specific. Do the math yourself. I'll give you my references. We'll sit with a calculator and do the math. It's that specific. March 14th, 445 B.C., added 173,880 days, April 6th, 32 AD. And yes, I understand there's some issues with calendars and was Jesus really born in this year and that year. This is just moving forward in the Gregorian calendar as we see it today. It's that specific. Jesus does not haphazard his way through life. And if you read further on in the book of, of um, Luke in, in 19, remember when Jesus was about to enter into Jerusalem and he cried. And this is why he cried. He said, Luke 19, verse 41. Now, as he drew near, drew near the city to, to, for his triumphant entry, he's about to enter triumphantly, and he cries. He saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus was entering Jerusalem, and he was rejected. Which for us, we have now the time of the Gentiles and a time of grace. All part of the plan. All part of the plan. Didn't surprise him. But wow, how specific is that? Two main points. No accidents with Jesus. When he withdrew from the crowd after feeding them, it wasn't his time. That's why. They were going to make him king, and it wasn't his time. We just looked at one example. There's so many in the Bible. There's that one example of the fact that you can really count on what Jesus says. And there's no wasted words with Jesus. Meaning the one you can count on will tell you exactly what you need. And what does he say that we need in chapter 6? Spiritual food. We'll definitely get into that. Okay, let's pick back up in verse 22 of John. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the shore of the lake, the crowd that had been miraculously fed, realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples. But they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after Jesus had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 
And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily answer the question that they asked. Rabbi, when did you get here? Much like he did with Nicodemus, when Nicodemus said, you know, we know you're from God because of the miraculous things you do. Jesus didn't go, well, thank you so much, Nicodemus. That was a wonderful thing to say. He got right to the point. He went right into the spirit. Jesus told him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Well, here he does the same thing with the crowd that says, you know, hey, when did you get here? Look at what he says. He gets right to the heart of the issue. Now, look for it. There's, the, the, the point here is there's more value in the spiritual than there is in the physical. That's the point here I, I want to get across. Verse 26 Jesus answered, very, ter- yeah, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They, they were physically filled, and that's what they want. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. It's a gift. He will give it to you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's talking of himself here, of course. Don't work for the food that spoils. Work for the food that endures. Then they asked him, well, what work must we do? What, what, what must we do to do the works that God requires? They're asking, what work do we have to do to be saved? And you think about it, that's a pretty honest question. I mean, how many people do you know that, and maybe, maybe some in here, and I, I want to I clear it up. What are the works that we have to do to be saved, to, to get eternal life with God, to, to join his team, to be his child? What are those works Super important question. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Okay, this is, pay attention. To believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. It is faith. And if you think about it, it can't be anything other than faith. Because if we were to work and toil so that God would owe us something, doesn't that seem kind of weird that God would ever really owe us anything? He's, He's so far above that. And we can't reach a point of holiness to meet his standard because he's, perfect his standard is perfect there's no way we can do that and if if you think you can you've got another thing coming right you're not perfect i'm not either i'm i'm I'm, we don't even get into what i am i need jesus (laughs) jesus answered the work of god is this to believe in the one he has sent so they asked him (laughs) still not getting it what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you i mean he just fed him right What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Okay, so they're they're, they're still missing the point. And I want to make sure that all of you get this point. Jesus is not talking about Physical sustenance. That's, that's, just take that physical sustenance, bread that you actually chew up and swallow and eat. That's not what he's talking about. You don't physically ingest spiritual food, right? Um, some continue to not understand Jesus' point, and the, and the conversation gets really, really confusing for these people. And like I said, I hope you get it. And I want to jump now into Deuteronomy. Now, they'd mentioned here, Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3, verse 3 and chapter 8. They mentioned that, hey, you know, Moses fed the people in the wilderness for 40 years. The manna came down from heaven. And, and they, they might be getting a little confused here that Jesus is saying, hey, here comes the bread from heaven that will feed you always. Like, hey, yeah, man, Moses got, he fed them for 40 years, so you're going to feed us every day too. Oh, we want this bread. We want you to feed us forever. This, is, this sounds great. Now, the reason Jesus fed the 5,000 plus was, yes, he gave them physical sustenance he, he satisfied them physically but the real reason was to teach them that spiritual food is more important than physical food the same reason that the israelites were fed so if we look in 8 3 it's they're bringing it up and and jesus is saying hey it's the same thing here deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 so he humbled you allowing you to hunger allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know by the way manna means what if you, if you ever wonder what manna is, that means what, if you translate it. Nobody knows what it is. So, little aside, that was free. So he humbled you all, <laughs> allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. That's the point. It's not the physical food that matters as much as 
spiritual food. And you don't take a chunk of spiritual food and put it in your mouth and chew it up. It's, that can get really confusing when we continue on through these verses where Jesus says some seemingly really, really weird stuff. And they are weirded out. And a lot of them can't take it and they leave. But I want you all to get that he's not talking about physical food at all. Not talking about physical substance. I'm trying to remember where we left off here. So let me get back into verse 35. After they said, sir, all, they said, always give us this bread. And once again, it's not, it's not physical sustenance. Verse 35 in John. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And that got him in trouble. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. Once again, I'm going to say this a hundred times. Jesus is not talking about physical sustenance. I am the bread of life. He's not talking. He's not a loaf of bread, right? He is the bread of life. He is spiritual food. And they were not getting it. It was taking them quite a bit. Now, verse 37 is amazing. I'm going to read it. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's a, that's a wow verse. There's a, there's a lot of doctrine in that verse. The fact that you're Christ, he's got you forever. But there's also a really, really important, well, two points in here. And you talk about Calvinism and Armenianism. You know, is it free will or is it divine? Uh, does he just choose us, right? What do you think the answer is? Yes, that's the best answer I've ever heard in my life. Yes. Is it divine election or human responsibility? Predestination or free will? If you look at this verse, all those the Father gives me. Okay, so the Father's going to give people. There's, wow, that sounds like predestination, doesn't it? Father's going to give people to Jesus. There's your predestination. Got it. Check. All right. They will come to me. And whoever comes to me, well, that sounds like human responsibility. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So in this one verse, you have both. It's much like, well, when Tammy and I got married, I don't know why she chose me, but she did, and we're leaving it at that. But I asked her to marry me, kind of. I think I'll share with you our, the time we uh, got engaged. It was really, really romantic. If, if you're laughing, you heard that story before. But I guess I asked you to marry me-ish. But what happened was I chose Tammy. But it didn't stop there. She had to say yes. She had to choose me as well. So it wasn't some sort of, of course, any kind of example I give with me comparing, you know, some heavenly example is going to fall short somewhere. But it's a two-way street. Yes, God draws us in, but we have to make that decision to believe. And he, yes, he gives us the faith to believe, but we have to do something with that faith. And once again, I'm not talking about works. I'm just talking about faith. And we can get into what faith is. And, boy, there's a sermon right there altogether. But we're going to move on because we've got 7,222 verses more to go. So, a lot of doctrine in that one verse. Is it predestination or is it free will? And the answer, yes, exactly, it is, both. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So, Jesus is not separate from the Father. Their wills aren't separate. They have the same will. They're, Jesus is doing the Father's will because he and the Father are one. It's not like... You know, uh, Trey's going to ask me to do something. I'll go, I'm doing what Trey told me. No, no, it's Jesus and God are one. So their will is the same. So, of course, Jesus is going to do the will of the Father. They're the same. At this, excuse me, and this is the will of him who sent me. I'm in verse 39. That I shall lose none of those he has given me. <laughs> That's good. That's a good promise. But raise them up on the last day. Verse 40. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And you can trust that promise because it's coming from the one who has everything in control. I mean, just that one little point there at the beginning, 173,880 days from here, boom, this happened, Jesus knew it. He's got it, right? And he's the one that built the entire universe. So when he says, you're not getting away from me, I've got you, nothing can take you away, you can trust that. He not only has the will to keep his promises, but he has the ability as well, which is a, a good combo. Verse 41, at this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now how can he say I came down from heaven? So, you know, they know 
that he's Mary's son and, and I guess Joseph's stepson, however you want to put it. They, they, they knew him as a child. So like, how, how can you say you came from heaven? And Jesus answers in verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Over and over and over again, he's talking about spiritual food. He's talking, and what is that spiritual food? He is that spiritual food. Jesus Christ, much like the, the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the whole get up. It's not something that we pull out of our closet in the morning and actually put on. It is Jesus Christ. We put on Jesus Christ. What is spiritual food? It's Jesus Christ. We put on Jesus Christ. Jesus just is camping on this. I mean, it's time and time again. The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Here we go again. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Yeah, God gave them physical food, and they died. I've got food where you won't ever die. It's not physical food. It's not for your physical being. It's for your spiritual well-being. Let's continue verse 50. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Anyone. Not me. I've done too much bad in my life. No, anyone. Not me. I, I don't have the faith. God gives you the faith. And when you feel it, like, hey, I, this is something I need to respond to. That's right. You need to respond to it. Anyone. It's for anyone. It's for everyone. Some people say it's a very uh, closed group, these Christians, because some go to heaven and some go to hell. It's for everyone. Some choose to not. I beg you to choose to too. <laughs> yes, choose Jesus. But these people in the crowd are, are, are continually missing the point of what he's saying. That it's not the physical reality that matters as much as the spiritual reality. Verse 50 again. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And this is where he starts getting some people looking sideways at him. This bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, is Jesus talking about physical eating? No, please say no. No, he is not. They're still stuck on the physical. He's not physical food. He's spiritual food. You don't pick it up and chew it. 53, Jesus said to them, Verily, very truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Now, he, now, what he just said previously was, you get life by believing that I am who I say I am. Now he's saying, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you get the same thing. It is the same thing. Because belief on him is spiritual food. He is spiritual food. And that is life. So, no, we're not eating his flesh and drinking his blood physically to receive anything. That's cannibalism, and that's not right. So he's not saying that. He said, you have life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. What does that mean? That means spirituality is real, y'all. Spiritual reality is more real than physical reality. We can get caught up and complacent in our physicality because we're looking at it. And we can really lose the fact that the physical stuff's going away. It's temporary. The spiritual's going to be forever. The spiritual's actually more real, more real than the physical. My body is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So that the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. If you don't understand that he's not talking about uh, physical food and that he is actually talking about spiritual food a lot of people get up and walk away and say I am not going to that church there's a bunch of weird people in there talking about eating people that's not the point I think, I think you get this now right it's not physical 
food we're talking about. It is spiritual food. His sacrifice, his blood, his broken body is for our spiritual birth and our eternal life. His broken body and spilled blood is for our spiritual life, our spiritual birth. We take the sacraments of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that later today. We take that as a physical reminder of that spiritual reality. And this is why it's absolutely meaningless to think that this is actually the blood. This is actually the body of Christ. It's missing the entire point of this entire chapter of John. To say we're physically eating his flesh and blood, it turns into it. That's missing the entire spiritual message of chapter 6 in John. It's absolutely not. It's just like baptism. When you get there and get baptized, that is a spiritual reality that we're just showing in a physical manifestation. Simply put, the water does not wash off that icky sin that's staining your, your, your skin and your clothes, right? Ring around the collar does not keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. It's not physical staining. It's sin. It's, it's something that's in our spiritual lives. Eating the sacraments is a reminder to us that he was here. He did die. He did raise again. He did ascend to heaven. He's still alive. And he's coming back. Just like he said. That's a reminder. This is, baptism is a showing for everyone here that, hey, I am identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I have died with Christ. I'm killing the flesh every day. Another point here, killing the flesh every day to, to bring up the spirit. When you fast, that's to deny the flesh to get you more mindful in the spirit. I was just talking to um, someone this morning about that, and she was telling me uh, in a fast that she was doing, it's like, man, it was a tough one, and I just kept having to go back to the scriptures and having to go back and pray. Ah, well, there's the point of fasting, isn't it? To put your mind on the spiritual. So it's absolutely meaningless to believe that this is actually the flesh and the blood of Christ. It, it misses the whole point, right? Well, let's get back to, to John, back in verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? I mean, in the flesh, literally, it sounds creepy. It doesn't sound right. And some people are like, I can't take this, I'm out of here. Now, the, the word hard here is not necessarily, it's a, the Greek word scleros, and it doesn't necessarily mean something that's necessarily difficult to understand. It can mean that somewhat, but it more means something that's uh, like um, arteriosclerosis, where your, your arteries get hardened, you get uh, What's that stuff? The, the plaque that builds up in there. And so it's something where your, your malleability and plasticity of your arteries is, is compromised. And it becomes more difficult, hard, but it's something that's like intolerable or offensive. And, and that kind of leads right into what Jesus says here in verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And I would actually, I don't know if you would, but I would actually like to just see the look on Jesus' face. So I'm curious, was it? Did he have a little smirk on his face when he said that? Or was he just, I, I don't know. Because, but just, hey, does this offend you? Because he knows he's offending people. Absolutely he knows it. He knows that some people are getting it. We see Peter later. I love Peter. His answer to this, was, we're going to get there. But Peter gets a bad rap sometimes. But man, he's on point sometimes too. I mean, he knows he's offending some people. That he's, he's, he's saying, guys, this is spiritual. Guys, this is spiritual. I'm talking spiritual. I'm talking spiritual. And they're like, oh, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't want to eat your flesh. That just sounds wrong. Guys, this is spiritual. So please, no one in here think we're talking about cannibalism. That's not the point. Jesus Christ is spiritual food. That's the whole point here. Now, he asked them, hey, you know, th does this offend you? And uh, do you want to leave too? He asked, he asked um, his disciples. I think I skipped ahead a little bit. Yeah, verse 62 after he says this offend you. Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. These words I have spoken to you, they are full of Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Obviously, once again, Jesus understands what's going on. He knows who's believing it, who's not, who's confused, who's not, who's listening in the Spirit, who's listening in the flesh. He's, he's got all of that. He, he absolutely knows. He wanted to say... This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them, unless he opens their eyes to see the Spirit. Now, that point that he made there, 
then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? What if I leave? What if my physical body goes away? Is, is it horrible? No, the Spirit is going to be here. And that's of more importance. He says, it's good that I leave because you're going to get the helper. Jesus is God, man. He has the Spirit of God in the man. The physical goes away. The spiritual remains. We're good because spiritual and physical, actually spiritual is more important. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, it's good that I go. That way you have the helper. You can have just the spiritual. Not a bad thing. By the, Jesus said it was good, so it's, it's good. From this time, many of his disciples, I'm in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They just couldn't take it. Verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And, and as I mentioned, Peter sometimes gets some harsh treatment. And it's because he's human. And in the Bible, it documents a lot of his humanness. And if I were in Peter's place in the Bible, there would probably be more knuckle-headedness that goes on. But, but man, Peter really gets it. There's times when Peter really, really gets it. And I, and I suggest you read his books, First and Second Peter. Talk about some deep theology. This guy was sharp. Help from the Holy Spirit, obviously. But Jesus there says to him, you know, hey, do y'all want to leave too? And I love Peter's answer. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He said, yeah, it may be difficult stuff. It may sound kind of weird. Although in the spirit, it makes perfect sense. Is it offensive? If you're in the flesh, yes. Is it offensive and you understand it in the spirit and you're complacent in the physical? Yeah. Because what it means is, hey, that stuff that you're clinging to, all those items that you love, let go of them. And even knowing and understanding what he's saying, that could be offensive to some people. But here's Peter saying, well, where are we going to go? You have, the, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe you and know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter got it right. Yeah, this may be tough. It may be tough because you don't understand the flesh. It may be tough because it means that you need to let go of your physical things that are the chains that are binding you down. But Peter says, you've got the words of eternal life, so we're staying right here. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. So yes, Jesus has had a purpose and is fully aware of Judas's choice to betray him. And what does Jesus do with that betrayal? It's quite amazing. He turns that betrayal into his broken body and spilled blood for our redemption. So he's got it under control. Yes, he knew Jesus was going to make that choice. All part of the plan. No accidents with Jesus. He has the situation well in hand. No wasted words. No wasted teachings with Jesus. The spiritual is more important than the physical. Let me jump into Jeremiah 15, 16 real quick. I'll just read it. You can try to click there, uh, move there quickly. But Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. How well do we remain focused on our spiritual health? Is your spirit, is your spirit well fed? Is it something that is starving or is it well fed? We have a tendency sometimes to compare our, what we call real lives with our spiritual lives. And that is a toxic, deadly tendency. Because if you want to say the spiritual life sometimes gets in the way of my real life. Or my real life sometimes gets in the way of my spiritual life. You've got it wrong. Your spiritual life is real life. It's more real than the physical. Galatians 5.17, this is the amplified version, I think explains that toxic relationship between, or should I say really, the, the, the physical, the toxicity of the physical against the spiritual because they're battling each other. You know, are we physical? Are we spirit? For the sinful nature, it's verse 17 in Galatians 5. For the sinful nature, the flesh, the physical, has its desire which is opposed to the spirit. And the desire of the spirit opposes the sinful nature, the flesh or the physical. For these two, the sinful nature and the nature of the spirit, are in direct opposition to each other. They're continually in conflict. Continually in conflict. So, so which are you? I mean, in reality, in totality for now, both, right? But which is eternal and which will ultimately be destroyed? Which is more real? Which, is the, which one do you identify with? The, the flesh is temporary. 
and, and the, the flesh is trying in vain to be satisfied. It, it, eating and drinking and then getting hungry and thirsty again and eating and drinking and getting hungry and thirsty again and eating and drinking. Never satisfied. Or are you a spirit born of God? Sustained by spiritual food. Namely, Christ Jesus. Living based only on the physical, these things we can see, like I said, is toxic. It is toxic. It's toxic for both the lost and for the believer. It really is. And we can get complacent when we have no forward progress. When, when we're just seeing the physical around us, we're not spiritually minded, and we're just not moving anywhere. You get really comfortable with where we are. And sometimes the physical seems more real than the spiritual because it's what we are really attuned to sometimes. And when God draws the lost to be so comfortable by the physical stuff and not want to respond to that call, uh, that can be toxic and deadly. It's, it's something we have to take that, that faith and that belief that God gives us, and we have to respond to it. And I've seen that manifest in, in many ways, the, the, the way people can just get so complacent and so comfortable where they are. Um, I remember a time, it's, it's sort of a, a strange story, to, to describe it but, it, but it fits. I was a senior in high school, some of you have heard this before, and a friend of mine, Mark, Mark if you're watching, hey, um, and I were, were driving down the road on a weekday in the middle of the day, should have been in school, but we weren't, we were on a field trip, I guess you could say, unsanctioned, and as we're driving down Appalachian Parkway, heading towards downtown Tallahassee, on the left, there was smoke coming up from the, the backside of a restaurant, a restaurant called Malone's, it's, it's not there anymore, and Ever since this day, it was the last day that restaurant was ever there. So we're kind of curious, like, man, there's a lot of smoke coming up the bat. Let's go check it out. So we pulled in, and I noticed when we got in the parking lot, you can see through the windows, there's quite a bit of people eating lunch inside the restaurant. And in the back, behind the kitchen, there was quite a big grease fire going on, and it had gone onto the roof of the building, and it was starting to spread into the building. So I thought, yep, I want to tell these people that they're going to die. So I walked into the building, and the lady in the front, the hostess, said, oh, table for two. I'm like, no, your, your building's on fire. You need to get everybody out of here. And she just kind of looked at me. I said, the building is on fire. There's a big fire out back, and it spread to the building. We need to get everybody out of the building. And she's kind of like, you're not going to eat? I'm like, no, I'm not going to eat. We need to get everybody out of here. Now, by this time, my voice had raised a little bit, and there's people that are sitting somewhat close, and they can hear me. And they're like, what? And I'm like, okay, she's not doing anything. I said, hey, everybody, the building is on fire. There's a big grease fire out back, and it spread to the roof. Everybody get out. And they looked at me. And they're like, but my lunch is warm. You know, I got to get up. Well, can I maybe get some tea first? You know, so I finally yelled out. I was like, hey, y'all, the building is on fire. Get out. And I'm going back to the kitchen. I'm like, y'all get out of here. The building's on fire. Slowly, people started getting up. And I'm thinking, okay, well, one reason they might not have jumped up, you got some punk, you know, 17-year-old coming there telling the building's on fire. Ha, 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 ha. But I was serious, and I, was, I maintained my seriousness. And even if they thought it was a joke, how easy is it to go, oh, yeah, it is on fire. I mean, when, the, when the, the consequences are that high, maybe check it out just a little bit. But, man, they were so complacent and so happy sitting in their seats that they did not want to get up and even check and see if they're about to die. And that really stuck with me. I, I, that, that was a time in my life where, you know, as a 17, you're not as, you know, you don't really ponder things like you do when you're 28 like I am now. But that was way too much laughter for that one. But it did hit me. I thought, wow, it is really easy to get complacent. These people are just really comfortable in their seats. And the building is on fire. And how is that the same with us? We can get so comfortable where we're sitting that even though this reality, this spiritual reality is hitting us, we're like, eh, yeah, but I really want to kind of maintain where I am right now. And actually on the, on the ride in this morning, I wasn't planning on uh, using this verse at all, but I was listening to uh, the radio and, and the guy was preaching a sermon I can't even tell you what it was about but then he hit on the story of um, when the 10 guys went into the promised land to spy it out and Caleb and, and uh, came back and said hey you know this, this is some great stuff just like the Lord said and eight of them said yeah but there's giants out there we don't want to mess with that because those dudes will kill us and Caleb says basically hey the Lord told us to take this land he said don't rebel against God this is Numbers 14, I think, verse 9. Don't rebel against God. Those giants are our food. Let's go in there and get it. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Giant, are, are they going to 
keep the giants alive and they're going to be their gardeners? No. Are they going to physically eat the giants? No. What does it mean? That faith that God gave him to go in and tackle those giants is his spiritual food. Go do what God told you to do. Build that faith. There's some food for you. Kind of a weird way to put it. But wow, does that make sense? That never really hit me until this morning. Listen to this. I don't even know who it was. Just say that on the way in. Caleb said, those giants are our food. They're a spiritual food. God told Caleb, this is the land I'm going to give you. Go take it. Eight out of ten said, ooh, those giants are too big. We're like grasshoppers. We're not going in. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go. Let's go. That's our food. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense to me. Don't get comfortable. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this physical stuff will be added to you. That's the MSV, the Michael Schaefer version. If God is calling you this year, it's a new year, right? Who, who does resolutions? I was talking with, every year Alan tells me a resolution. Last year, he said, uh, yeah, I made a resolution to be more assertive, you know, if, if, if that's okay with you. So this year I figured out, anybody get that? Okay, thank you. <laughs> so this year I figured I'd pull that one on him, and I told him that was my resolution. And what did you say? <laughs> he said, uh, I'm trying to remember now. He said, uh, wasn't the same one. He, oh, I can't remember what he said. Man, it just lost me. If I think of it a little bit, it will. But it was a good one. Thank you for that good joke that I just totally forgot. <laughs> but we can, as the new year pops up, it's, it is a good time, I think, to make resolutions. I think making resolutions is a fine thing. It kind of it makes us stop for a moment and think, where are we? And what needs to change? And what a better time than right now when the whole world is doing it, right? Step into it, like Kristen said, the word for the year. Jesus, excellent word for the year. But the building is on fire. And, and whether you're a believer or you're not yet a believer, the building is on fire. And you're either in it or you're outside of it. And if you're in it, I'm telling you, God wants you to get out. He wants you to come to him and just believe on him. That little voice that's in you saying, hey, this is true. It's the Holy Spirit just drawing you in and respond to it. So today, when, when we're doing the invitation, come down here. I will tell you, meet Jesus, right? This is the whole John lesson that we're doing from chapter 1 all the way to the end is meet Jesus. And my prayer for everyone is that they meet Jesus. If you don't know him, it's, yeah, it's life-changing. That's, that's not saying much. It's eternal life. He is spiritual food. He is life. And to accept him is life and to not accept him is death and if you already are a believer we've got to go run into that burning building and get people out we've got to get busy because like having the cure for cancer and keeping it to yourself that's not right if you truly believe that jesus christ is the son of god and that he came to this earth to save sinners died on the cross rose from the dead after three days ascended into heaven sitting at the right hand of god the father and is coming back if you believe that, we got to get people out of the building. we got to act on it. That's your spiritual food. Yes, it's Jesus Christ. But much like Caleb saying those giants, is, that's food, it's because he's going to go out and do it. He's going to act on his faith. It's not the works that save us, but it's that salvation that into good works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. By faith we're saved, by grace, not of works, lest we boast. I'm not going to get to heaven and say, woo, look at all the good things I did to get here. I'm going to look to Jesus and say, woo, look at the good things he did to get me here. It's all him. That's our spiritual food. And as believers, we've got to get out there. I, I truly believe the time is short. I think the harvest is rich, and I think the harvesters are few. And I think the time is shorter and shorter and shorter. Look at the news. Yes, the world's always been a mess. But, man, it's, it's, it's time to go into that burning building. Let's get some people out. If you believe that and need to really step into it, that's what this altar is for. Make it right. You can do it where you are, too. If you've never met Jesus Christ, if you've been introduced to him a hundred times and all your friends think you know him, but you don't, today's the day. I'm telling you, there is no accident with Christ. Zero. He's got it under control. And what you don't want to do, just like in that verse 37 where it's, hey, it's God's going to draw you in. But it's, 
our response, right? Our belief. Yes, he gives us that belief. But yes, what work is it that you believe, that you believe, and respond to that belief? Because I am here to tell you 100% Jesus Christ is who he says he is. It's proven time and time again, not only in the scriptures, not only in history, but in my life. And even then, sometimes I mess up. Guess what? Me and Peter, that's great. We can have a discussion when we get there. And he'll probably tell me, you know, you're a little rough on me sometimes. Well, sorry. But today is the day of salvation. If anybody wants to come up here during the invitation, please do. If anybody needs to come up and just pray because you just want to set things right, you're a believer, but you just need to get things right, come on up. There's no shame in it. It's a, it's a celebration. It's a celebration. Matter of fact, when someone gets saved, it says there's a celebration in heaven. Some people say it's angels. It says it's around the throne. It's probably God. I think he's celebrating too. Does he know it's going to happen? Yes. But what a celebration it is. And what a better place to do it, really, around a bunch of other believers? There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is what we want. We want more and more of us in the family of God. And when you enter into it, it's a celebration. So if you want to come up, come up. I'll, I'll pray with right now. And worship team will come up and don't know what song they're doing. I'm sure it's a wonderful one. But please, get past whatever fear you have. Don't fear, men. Nobody in this room can take away your birthday. Nobody in this room can kill your soul. God is in control of everything. Fear him. Fear him. If he's calling you to a higher purpose, run after it. If he's calling you just to get to know him, run after it. God is in control. Don't fear people. Fear God. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. And I always thank you for the clarity in your word. There are things that I read sometimes that are somewhat mysterious, and that's fine because you're God. And if there weren't some mysteries with you, well, then you wouldn't be God. But, Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you just spell it out. The fact that the spiritual food that you give us is of such high importance, it leads to eternal life. Physical food is important to keep us moving and keep us alive physically so that we can do your work here. And, and we get that. It's, it's not that it's of zero importance, but it shouldn't own us. And Father, you say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first that spiritual food. Seek ye first Jesus Christ. And all the other things will be added unto us. You're a good Father. You're trustworthy. And yes, we fall flat sometimes, but you say, get up. Let's walk through this together. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that just needs, well, everyone needs you. But if anyone realizes, hey, I, I don't know Jesus. I want to get to know Jesus today. I pray that today is the day of salvation. And they take that step of faith and follow you for all the days of their life. And Father, if there's anyone here that just says, you know what, it's a new year. Or regardless that it's a new year, I know I need to step into faith in you and trust in you more. And Lord, I just, I just pray that everyone here just says 2022 is the year that's the year for Jesus. The word for the year is Jesus, and we move forward with that. Lord, we thank you and praise you in your holy, precious name, the name of Jesus Christ.